0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. For a long time in business and private equity, corporate sustainability, also known as ESG, the initials for environmental, social, and governance, was a rear guard part of the business that took front stage only when PR required. That time has most definitely passed. Today, ESG not only takes front stage, but it's often fully integrated into the deal-making process, a central part of the business due diligence and ongoing operations, as well as a key factor for LPs as they decide where to invest. So what does ESG mean today? How involved in the portfolio company's sustainability strategies should the PE firms be? And how important is it to the LPs? That's what I asked Adam Heltzer, head of ESG and Sustainability at Partners Group, the Swiss-based private equity firm with more than $80 billion in assets under management. Not only does Adam oversee ESG integration throughout the investment process, but he also manages a portfolio of 150 value creation and risk mitigation projects across some 70 direct investments in private equity, infrastructure, and real estate. Previously, among other roles, Adam worked as a Global Leadership Fellow at the World Economic Forum. Before my conversation with Adam, though, I have an ask from me to you. I hope you like these working capital conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with Adam Heltzer. Adam. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the very top. What is corporate sustainability? It can mean different things to different people. How do you define it?
1: Great question, Chris, and and I hope uh, you know I would hope to have the final end all be all answer for this, but I you know there is no definition, so I'm just going to add my my own definition uh, into the mix.
0: I'm sure that yours will go straight to the top of every Google search. It's gonna, <laughs> it, it'll be Helzer's definition of corporate sustainability.
1: There's no doubt about it. Uh, as as heard first here on this podcast, first here, um, yeah. So you know for 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 me, for my role here at, at Partners Group, when we think about corporate sustainability, we're really talking about uh, those topics out of the wide universe of environmental, social, and governance topics that really are most relevant and material to a given business. So this is not uh, butterflies and uh, and and feel good stories. This is about those factors that really do affect a business and how that business is proactively, addressing those topics uh, for the long-term success uh, of, its, uh, of its operation.
0: And why is a corporate sustainability strategy meaningful then for a business? Um, and I guess from your point of view, a, a portfolio business within a private equity portfolio, um, but also more broadly across a private equity portfolio. Why, why does it matter for the businesses themselves and a portfolio?
1: One clear uh, hint as to why uh, I think we think that it's important is where I sit within uh, Partners Group, within within this uh, private equity firm. Uh, I'm part of the value creation team. So, you know, you're not going to find me within uh, investor relations or public affairs. Uh, you're going to find me, you know, side by side with the folks who focus on uh, sales excellence, procurement excellence. So we see um, – better management of environmental, social, and governance topics as a way to create value and also protect value. Mm-hmm. And very tangibly, what we're talking about here is, you know, when you save um, energy consumption, you're saving energy costs. When you reduce workplace injuries, you're reducing workers' compensation claims. When you recruit, train uh, your people better, you're reducing the cost uh, of, of, of turnover, things like that. Uh, and on the, on the risk mitigation value protection side, of course, we have – Tons of examples in the newspaper every week of poor governance, poor internal controls, poor data privacy and protection that has really uh, affected company value. So that's why on a company by company level, we have seen um, value be affected through through ESG Mm. across the portfolio. I just expand that, you know, to this platform level. Um, So you multiply out all these different ESG impacts across an entire portfolio uh, and you realize that the opportunity is enormous. Uh, we think about the total amount spent on workers' comp across our portfolio. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars, and, and so on. Um, that's just for the value creation side. There's also this element of, uh, I think, reputational uh, issues, you know, moral issues, reputational issues, yeah. where you have, um, you know, individual companies that you know can can really have their value affected through that but also Partners Group as a firm. Um, we've, we've been around for about 25 years, spent a number time um, building this, this company and this brand and this reputation from scratch. You would hate to have one incident somewhere in the portfolio affect that, uh, affect that, that reputation, that positioning. And the same goes for our clients. Uh, so obviously we have a very wide range of clients, uh, different types, many in the, in the, the public sector. And so we have to be very careful about ensuring they're not exposed to companies who have irresponsible uh, business practices.
0: So I want to follow up on the investing side, because it's always fascinating to me in talking with folks like you who do what you do, um, but sit um, side by side on the investing team and with the investing partners. Um, you're looking at, uh, you've just described the the areas that you're um really looking at when you're looking at a a company and and the things that that you're responsible for simultaneously you're partnering with um you know colleagues of yours who might be you know of course concerned and interested in what you're your focuses, but they also are looking at other areas. They're looking at returns. So looking at ability for a particular company perhaps to, um, act as a platform for, you know, other, um, add-ons later on. Um, how does that interaction work? Um, for, you know, kind of merging your point of view and the areas that you're worrying about, which might not be exactly where other, uh, of your colleagues are, are focusing. And, and how, how does that work for you? How does that work? Um, and I'm kind of curious if you think that that's firm specific, if the way that you guys work on that, um, is specific to your firm or, or if it's something that, uh, others could emulate.
1: Great, great set of questions. If I forget any element of the multi-questions, <laughs> just kind of br- bring me back to it. Um, and, and to give you, and to give you a sense about this question of, you know, how do I interact with, uh, with uh, investment professional uh, uh, colleagues. Let me just give you a brief window into my background, because uh, I spent you know, the larger part of my first part of my career in what you might call the do-gooding sector. Mm-hmm. Um, I did development aid work in and around Washington, D.C. for about 10 years. Then I swung to the World Economic Forum for two, year, for two years. Um, their mission is committed to improving the state of the world. And after all that time, um, I thought, hey, if, if I'm really going to have a larger impact, I need to swing to the quote-unquote other side. Um, the 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 financial world uh, the part of um, the world that supposedly kind of didn't get it when it came to sustainability and ESG
0: the side that you you might have previously considered the dark side but yes, which clearly exactly. clearly is not
1: yeah and 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 even on the do gooding side you know it was uh, there was always this refrain of if only we could get the larger system to understand. And see what we see then that's when we experience systemic change catalytic change mm. and so i thought instead of hanging out with this crew anymore how about i go and hang out with the other crew where the real you know the real systems level change is supposed to happen yep. um I, I offer that as backdrop to say that i was prepared for much more active resistance uh, kind of what you're alluding to huh. uh, is it a butting of heads or is it sort of like you know when i when i speak to my colleagues i'm taking something away from them and i actually haven't really encountered Countered that. And I don't think that's a you know specific thing to my firm. I think um, it just generally it just generally works that um, the worst I'll find is sort of passive resistance more so than you know hostile active resistance because it is a very crowded agenda uh, that each of these people is, is working on. Um, that said, um, our model in this is not that I and my team are the sole carriers of the ESG values of the firm the vision and my job and my mandate is to build a system wherein the investment professional is actually responsible for the ESG dimension of it. Hmm. Um, and how do I, how do we achieve that? Um, I'm not the person who is, you know, walking around the floor with a ruler wrapping on wrists. It's our global investment committee who has to kind of back up these values and these principles. And I'll, I'll give you an example to help illustrate. Um, we had one investment opportunity within uh, uh, the past couple of years um, at a company that had a horrendous health and safety record uh, 40 plus amputations over the last five years. Uh, amputation was not necessarily full limbs, but still grisly and completely unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I was not the person who had to sort of come to the deal team and say, hey guys, I know that, you know, you may be uh, really wild about this deal. Financial returns look great, and I'm sort of killing the party. It was the investment committee that said this is unacceptable. Um, we need to understand whether this is something that we can actually fix as owners, and basically sent the deal team back with you know 20 plus questions about how to actually vet this topic and come back to them with a plan for what opex spend would be required to improve it, um, and also you know the other there are financial benefits to that too. Um, but still, it's something that has to kind of um, exist within the, the overall system of the investment process so that it's not just siloed within the expert corner over here where the uh, ESG team sits.
0: That makes total sense. I mean, given what you were saying earlier in this conversation, um, you, you know, you're, you don't look at this as pure do-gooding. I'm sure you want to do do good and I'm sure that you do, and that's um you know, that's excellent. That 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 should be part of um something I guess that that anyone wants to do. Um but what I hear you creating is and, and aligning is a financial cost component to to what you're looking at, whether that's on the, um, accretive side or on the saving side. And so that would just make total sense that that should be directly aligned and, um, uh, you know, important to the other investment professionals that you work with.
1: Yeah. And that's so critical to the equation. Uh, so we don't come to them and pitch these as extracurricular activities. We pitch them as core to the business case. Uh,
0: and you know, ideally, um, Enhancing the business case. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. So talk to me about the portfolio companies. Um, different PE firms have different levels of involvement with their portfolio companies. Um, how involved in the portfolio companies' sustainability strategies should. PE firms be in your view is that where a PE's a private equity firm's strategy comes into play or for you and your philosophy is it more at the thesis design due diligence investment stages that we've been discussing?
1: You know, it it, uh, it runs like a like a thread throughout the entire process. Um, hmm. So it starts with the basic mandate that I received when I came here four years ago, which was. We want to do more than just screen out companies that are doing bad things for the world. So, you know, it's easy to say we're not going to invest in coal or tobacco production or you know, insert whatever sector you want. Um, we want to differentiate by demonstrating to our clients, to others, that when you are owned by Partners Group, um, you can expect to see measurable improvements in the core, most material ESG factors um, uh, for, that, for that company. So that's where we start as a base, that during the ownership period, we're going to implement projects, initiatives to improve management of ESG. This, by the way, is right alongside our traditional value creation activities in expanding top line, improving margins, and so on. Uh, Once we sort of had that as the first mandate, uh, we, of course, went headfirst into portfolio companies, rushed in and said, great, we would like to do – Employee engagement and gender diversity and uh, corporate governance and all these other things and then we realize shoot You know, we should probably think more systems level about how to get this done Uh, And that's when we back up to the earlier stages of the of the process and say, okay How do we during due diligence begin to narrow the universe of possible ESG levers that there are down to a manageable five to ten? that are most relevant for this company among those five to ten, how do we narrow that down to kind of three to five where we actually think a tangible project can be implemented? Uh, how do we then design very tangible uh, and practical steps during onboarding of hmm. new investments to say, here's our expectations for what we're doing on ESG. Here's our reporting cycle. Here are our values. Here's why we think it works. Here are ten other portfolio companies where we've done something similar. By the way, if you'd like to speak to them, you know, we can you know make those introductions. Do you have a formal process around that? Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, do you, do you, so you literally, you, you, you get a, you start working with a new portfolio company and you've got kind of a a playbook on how to onboard them, um, and work with them vis-a-vis ESG.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know if this is a Swiss thing, you know, we're, we're a Swiss Switzerland based company, but process defining process is a, is a big thing. And so, um, you know anytime you want to get something done at a platform level, you have to be very clear and simple here's what happens when here's who does you know who does what and when um, so if we want to achieve anything on the esG side, we of course have to come to our portfolio companies very well organized very clear expectations um and make sure that we follow through on those so that's that's part of our assessment process now
0: and on the broad level not just on the systems and process and and the onboarding but on on the the broad level of ESG and and everything that we're talking about do the LPs care or is their focus on returns
1: you know the answer is yes uh or you know both um, um so the LPs of course care about returns um and you know, you could say that's always their first their first criterion in some cases no but you know for the most part yes um, do they care about ESG the answer generally is yes, but the nuance comes in with, well, how much do they care? In what way do they care? Uh, and that can range anywhere from, please just don't you know, land me in the headlines, yeah. to, um, hey, we actually have principles or values that we're trying to uphold, and we want to see those values carried out through our investment portfolio. Um, and that especially comes into play when you have an LP who, for example, has maybe teachers or other, um, you know, blue-collar workers as part of their, their their pension base, so they have they're very interested in certain topics around labor rights, workers' rights, and things like that. Um, so so they do care. I, I think where I see the the friction or where I see uh, the tension is that uh, LPS are not so well resourced to follow through on oversight and monitoring, and so they may say yes we care, uh, but they don't have they're not as well equipped to be able to really push GPS to prove that what they say they're doing, they're actually doing or to press for more substance. Mm. So I, I, I have at times felt a little bit of a lack of urgency or ambition, um, kind of cascading throughout that chain. But, you know, as we speak, um, you know, those ambitions are getting greater and greater. And I think the LPs are getting more and more sophisticated about how to, oversee and monitor their managers.
0: Yeah, it sure seems like that's where the trend line is going, certainly on the um, interest side, because I, it, it appears, you would know better than I would, that LPs uh, are getting um, guidance, let's say, pressure would be another way to phrase it, um, from a number of different inputs, particularly certain uh, LPs and, and certain of the public ones, like like you mentioned. And uh, so it, it, it does seem like like what you're describing, um, that that's where the trend line is going. Um, I, I want to follow up on something that you started to hint on earlier when you were talking about uh, you know, various types of sectors. Do ESG principles mean different things as you consider different sectors? For example, um, you've invested in a pipeline company. How does a pipeline company maintain ESG principles?
1: yep this is, this is one of the, the key challenges for any ESG program. How do you adapt? How do you tailor... Uh, the broad set of ESG down to a, an asset level. Um, and the good news is that, you know, in this ecosystem of promoting ESG, there are organizations that have tried to make this easier, make the practice easier. And the key one to respond to this question is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, SASB. Yeah. Uh, it's no no accident that it rhymes with FASB. Um, you know, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, I think it was established probably 70 years ago, 80 years ago, Uh, Because companies were not consistently reporting their basic accounting numbers, uh, different definitions from different companies. And so investors said, we need to get more consistency so that you can compare between companies and see what's a better investment. About 10 years ago, uh, there was a similar conversation around sustainability. Michael Bloomberg, um, a former chairman of the SEC, others realized that sustainability was not being taken seriously because it was all greenwashing babble. Uh, It was, we as a company are at the forefront of greening our operations, Um, but there was no way that an investor could really understand that, get any rigor behind it, any numbers behind it. So what SASB did was go sector by sector, industry by industry, uh, collect experts from that industry, um, and have them agree on the top 10 or 15 most material ESG topics for that business. In the case of the you know the pipeline company that you're referring to, you know health and safety would be a huge one. Community engagement would be a big one. Excuse me, um, maybe how they recycle uh, source and recycle their materials in a, in a construction phase. So we use those standards. Many other uh, managers use those standards to understand what the key topics are to uh, to, to focus in on. And then over time, you could imagine um, if you get more and more companies who are reporting on those metrics, then you begin to have um, you know, a set of a data set you can benchmark against and see how one company actually does perform against another and begin to put some holes into every company's claims that it is, you know, best in class in in their uh, most relevant areas of sustainability.
0: And so does that work for um, some of the companies that might be in industries that are environmentally challenged, for example? Um, Does it does it create a benchmark or or an apples-to-apples comparison capability? Um, How how does that work?
1: It should over time. Um, That's what it's meant to do. Um, Naturally, it comes with lots of kind of complicating factors. Uh, There are some metrics that aren't quite normalized, and so you might have a metric between where you see different companies reporting it, but as an investor, it's hard to really understand the context, and so it still requires a number of follow-up questions. But maybe that's not too dissimilar from a normal financial analysis where you have a, a basic accounting metric and you say, okay, that might be CapEx, but how do I understand it in the context of the operation of the business and and what insight does this give me into uh, to how the business is run?
0: Do you do measuring um, in terms of the impact of implementing ESG initiatives within the portfolio company, and I, I realize that that might not be phrased exactly right. I, I don't think that you necessarily implement your ESG initiatives in the portfolio company, but do do you do you create a, a measurement capability, um, maybe post investment, so that you can track how uh, your assumptions and beliefs going into uh, the relationship, how they're doing, uh, I guess, year by year.
1: This is. Um... I would use the word hot topic, Uh, you know, for some it may not be so hot, but this is this is a a very important and continuing to grow uh, area of the ESG world. Um, Short answer to your question is, yes, we do. Uh, I'll explain what those things are, but then I'll also explain why it's an an incredible challenge for anyone doing this work. So there's two levels at which we uh, measure and track our impact. One is quite micro. It is at the company level. Each company I mentioned, we have an engagement an engagement is comprised of three individual ESG work streams. It could be we're going to reduce energy consumption by 10%. It could be we're going to uh, reduce the lost time incident rate to below 05 anything like that. When we actually track and implement those projects, we, of course, then uh, capture what those impacts are. easy example, in the energy management cases, we've reduced consumption by this amount that translates to this amount of CO2 emissions uh, avoided. So something like that. So we, we measure the impact of individual company-level uh, initiatives. Uh, we also roll out an ESG KPI survey every year uh, across our full direct lead portfolio. And in that survey, we'll also ask you know, a wide range of impact-like questions. Have you had initiatives to reduce uh, consumption of these other natural resources, water? Uh, what has been your um, performance on diverting waste from, from landfill. Um, also policy maturity questions. Um, do you have a code of conduct? Do you have a ethical supply chain policy and so on? So that survey allows us also to kind of aggregate up, uh, to, to top level impacts that are at the, at the portfolio level. As for the, the challenge of this, um, and this is a broader challenge, I think for sustainability in general, it is an area that is so rife with, uh, good stories, because I think you back to your question about LP expectations and do they care, um, there's almost um, a condition of, hey, if all the stories are good, we can all feel satisfied. Um, mm. you know, The work is being done. But in reality, of course, reality is much more messy. Um, and so I think what we have now is um, everyone's measuring their good stories, uh, but there's not that much pressure to increase the data quality and the rigor of it because it's a good story everyone's satisfied and they and they go home. So uh, us, you know, for example, let's say the first year or two that we did a ESG KPI survey, we did sanity checks on the data, we did random validation, but we didn't beat up the numbers so much. Uh, the past couple years, we've had to have follow-up conversations with each portfolio company of about an hour to 2 hours where we actually go through their responses and say, "Can you actually tell me, you know, define exactly how you sourced this energy consumption number or how you actually reported something as simple as uh, females as a percentage of the management team. Um, we had one portfolio company when we validated that figure say, Oh shoot, I'm sorry. I included the assistant in the number. Uh, and that doesn't really count. Um, and that was you know my epiphany moment where I said, you know, if we're not validating every single number in a follow-up conversation, I'm not sure that we can, we can trust it. Um, That condition exists also for public markets. A lot of the ESG data, a lot of the ESG ratings in public markets is based on whatever the company has published, but a a shockingly low percentage of companies have any processes in place to assure or validate that data. So there's a lot of kind of cherry picking uh, going on.
0: I'm sure. And that's a tough one to overcome. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's hugely important because, uh, um, you know, if the data if the, if, if the facts behind the data or the data behind the stories, um, you know, if it doesn't line up, um, it, it can really, you know, not only then are you not, are, are those companies not accomplishing what, what we all believe they are, um, but it can kind of create a bit of a, a, a crisis of confidence, I would almost think, um, mm-hmm. in the entire effort. And for somebody like you who, you know, this is at least so far, um, that your life's work, um, you know, that's got to be something that, uh, I'm sure that you care about.
1: Exactly. It's, uh, my framing comment about this is that the pendulum in a way I see it swinging where there was a time that people said, what's this ESG stuff? It seems like extra. Don't bother me. Then you have a group of people now who say ESG is everything. If you're not doing ESG, you're being left behind. You're leaving money on the table. You know, it's, it's a, it's complete, you know, driver of value. Um, and that the reality is, you know, somewhere in the middle uh, and to get in the middle, we have to kind of wrestle with these more pragmatic, messy questions like the data management process, how people can actually trust this data. And when you have people just kind of producing this false data, just as you're saying, um, you know, you you begin to poke holes in, in what should be a really important part of the
0: investment process. So, Adam, in listening to you, uh, you clearly work – across kind of horizontally um, all of your portfolio companies. Uh, I'm wondering, are there any benefits or are there any actions that you take um, maybe top down then as you're gaining insights and gaining information uh, across that full range of of portfolio list?
1: Yeah. I mean, after a couple of years of implementing these ESG engagements with our portfolio companies, you know, we began to pick out patterns, uh, recurring themes, project types that uh, that kept recurring. Uh, and this also brings us into the most exciting part about being at a platform uh, like Partners Group, which is that we're dealing uh, with scale. We have 60 to 70 assets globally. Uh, if you count up all the employees that, uh, that, that populate our companies, we're talking about 200,000 people plus. Uh, so this is really our chance to make a larger impact across a much larger range of people. Uh, so, for example, uh, health and safety. Um, we probably observed and worked on, I don't know, 10 to 15 different health and safety initiatives across our portfolio and then realized, shoot, we can do this much more efficiently. So why don't we complement the bottoms up company by company engagements with a top down what we called sweep? Uh, the idea here is simple. You lay out all those assets, 60 to 70. You come up with a simple but you know sophisticated Uh, categorization scheme. How do we figure out what is high risk, medium risk, and low risk based based on the nature of the work, based on the home country, and so on? And from there, you figure out for the high-risk companies, we need to have a fairly standard way to assess the quality of their health and safety program. Get in uh, an expert consultant, a partner uh, for for this special field. They go in there, identify the gaps, and we systematically close them. Even for the low-risk companies, if we undertake this exercise, we can still distill for them best practice in this area. Um, so that's something we've done on health and safety, doing the same thing on fraud risk, uh, and as you can imagine, opportunities through the same in other areas, human capital development, employee engagement, retention, gender diversity, uh, and so on. So this, for us, is a really exciting area of growth. How do we make the practice of ESG scalable, efficient, and effective
0: In listening to you, I'm I'm curious about another point, um, and that is the relationship between businesses and public policy. Public policy had, I would argue, been going very um, directly in one direction, in a very um, ESG-type direction. Certainly, in the last couple of years, uh, you know, within the U.S. um, at the federal level, there have been rollbacks of of, uh, a number of those regulations. Um, You know, there's been pullout of uh, Paris Accords and and things like that. And yet, we hear, and and there was even, uh, you know, it's where I'm getting to is that you then hear, however, businesses saying well that's okay you know government and and can set public policies you know that's that's what they're supposed to do um but our business Plan, our value chains, our operational integrity is already built with these, um, ESG factors ingrained. And so, yes, public policy might evolve and, and maybe at the U.S. level, I know you're a a global company and you're investing in, in global companies. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but we're gonna, that, that public, those public policy shifts aren't necessarily going to impact how we want to change um, or would change our operations. So I guess to t- to put a point on it, do you feel like businesses are post public policy driven? Meaning, it's not the public policy that's bringing these horses to water. The the ho- these horses are are going to the water on their own.
1: You know, a lot of examples spring to mind. Um, I think. Uh, it's a mix, like most things, but I I do think for the large part they are post public policy. And I'll, I'll give an example. Um, after the U.S. withdrew from the Paris Accord, uh, you know we have companies here in the U.S. that, that build solar farms, mm. and so we had tons of questions from um, from clients and others saying like, "Oh shoot, you know how has that affected your portfolio?" And you know when I caught up with uh, their head of business development, they said actually complete boon. Uh, you know, they called it the Trump bump because despite the lack of leadership on the public policy side here, they then experienced an inflow of corporates that were saying we would like to have you build us solar farms because we're not getting it from the government side. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was sort of a counterintuitive development relative to public policy, but, uh, one that happened nonetheless. Um, There are others. Um, There was a a business that produces the active pharmaceutical ingredient in uh, opioids, and we evaluated this a number of years ago before there was CDC guidance um, recommending against opioid use or or prescribing opioids over a certain number of days. And so even though the regulation uh, was not there, um, it was in our own interest to give a very hard-nosed analysis to, like, where is this going how could it end up, and how do we, as a business, you know, if we were to invest in this, how would we actually stay ahead of the regulations So, kind of, you know, get a, get ahead of what might be coming. Um, so, yeah, in general, I, I don't experience a lot of businesses sort of just watching that regulation line and saying we're going to stay minimum above it. They're thinking a bit more expansively, a bit more into the future, a bit more about their various stakeholders, especially in consumer-oriented uh, businesses, about where they, they should position themselves relative to an emerging issue.
0: Yeah, and an interesting point there on the uh consumer facing businesses as well. They they have an an added layer of uh feedback uh as it were, mm-hmm. and if they were moving into areas that uh was weren't um satisfying to their consumers, uh that would that would create a whole other set of problems. And like I guess that's some of the risk mitigation and risk management um that you were talking about at the top. Um to to close, Adam, uh we I'll ask you to look not backwards but forward. What's next for ESG focused investing?
1: I've been thinking of it like an arms race for substance. Um, hmm. I think uh, there was a period when it was a binary—you know, will you integrate these non-financial factors, these ESG factors into your analysis or not? That was probably about ten or so years ago. Then there was a series of questions like, "Okay, if you're you're agreeing to do this, how are you doing it? Just demonstrate your process." Then there was an era of. Well, great that you've got a process. Can you demonstrate that it's effective? Um, and, you know, there's a number of managers that are kind of coming to that space now um, and now feel they need to differentiate um, based on substance and saying, hey, we actually are using these metrics to improve our investment, to improve our returns, and here's how we can demonstrate that we're actually doing it. Um, the other element of substance, I think, is, is the transparency and the candor around um, – this point around, uh, you know, positive stories versus negative stories. Um, I think to, to maintain credibility, uh, investors have to be uh, honest, open, candid around not just what are the wonderful things that are happening through their investments uh, on the ESG side, but also what are those kind of negative impacts and how they're being managed, and if they're not being managed. So my sense is that LPs are sort of past the point of, great you have an esg program and are trying to show trying to see where managers are delivering something beyond just having something but actually demonstrating that it's improving the investment process
0: the substance will matter uh which i guess is exactly where somebody like you would uh would want this to be exactly adam thank you thank you for your time and uh thank you for uh describing what's just a, a fascinating um and important area of work
1: it's been a pleasure thanks so much chris